Pilot Boys in the building. Welcome to the Pilot Boys podcast, where you'll get the real on all things sports, music, and pop culture. I'm Mecca Don here with my co-host V. Mamba mentality for life. Today is July 2nd, 2020. Thank you guys for tuning in. I know you could be anywhere in the world, but you're here with us. We are still social distancing due to the coronavirus pandemic, but we're still going to figure out a way to bring you a show at all costs. On today's show, we will talk to Columbus City Council member Shayla Favor. She's also an attorney. We talked to her about a lot of things, everything from education to the protests, to police reform, to funding the police, history, being a lawyer, changing the name of Columbus, and so much more. This is a show that you guys do not want to miss. This is a very, very special guest, somebody who we believe could probably be president one day. We will also do news and notes, talking about everything from Cam Newton to Colin Kaepernick, Fabulous and Jadakiss, coronavirus, and so much more. Don't forget that our Patreon subscribers get our episodes a night early on Wednesdays. These donations help keep our show going. If you want to help keep us on air, you can donate at www.patreon.com forward slash Pilot Boys Podcast. Don't forget to grab some wristbands and Pilot Boys face masks at shop.pilotboys.com and be sure to leave us a five-star rating and comment on Apple. Let's go. Where the Pilot Boys at? You're listening to the Pilot Boys podcast. We are here with a very special guest, Columbus City Council member and attorney, Shayla Favor. Shayla, thanks for joining us. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you all for uh, extending an invitation for me to participate today. Uh, not, not a problem at all. I you know, we go that. back over 20 years now. That's crazy. I see that black O still in the background, too. <laughs> <laughs> yes, represent. I love it. Yes, I yes. Love it. So let, let's jump right in. You, you have a, um, a very, very awesome story. Obviously, we're very proud of you following you from, you know, our days at Ohio State together, obviously, to what you've become, uh, not just a council member, but just as a person, as an attorney, as a wife, you know, just a lot of different things. And um, so we're just interested in there's a lot of stuff we want to talk to you about. So we're going to try to cover it all. But I want to start here. Let, let's start with how, how and why you decided you wanted to be on city council. Um, that's such a such a prestigious thing to hold locally, but I want to know what 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 your motivation was initially. So you know, in all honesty, a, a lot of this uh, for me started um, when we were at Ohio State. Um, I don't know if you remember, uh, but back in the day, there used to be this event called the Block Party, mm-hmm. and um, every year. Um, hundreds of thousands of people would come to Columbus, Ohio um, to celebrate African-American Heritage Festival Week. Um, it was coined block party, uh, but it was in honor of um, that celebration. Yeah. And so I think when we were maybe sophomores or juniors, um, is right around the time that um, some unfortunate events took place around the time of the Heritage Festival. And it was blamed on all of the people that were coming to Columbus. So much so that they would shut down businesses and shut down. Um, I would have uh, college um, people in my dorm 
um, white people in my dorm would leave and started calling it white flight. Mm. And I remember um, because I was heavily involved with um, our uh, black events on campus and helping to organize a march because we felt so disenfranchised uh, from the way uh, the event was uh, being handled, uh, the way we were being handled as black students wanting to celebrate and honor our traditions. very powerful way. And so I remember me and a couple of my uh, friends, we organized a march on campus. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's when I really started recognizing like my voice has power yeah. uh, and that I'm always going to be in a space where I'm going to have to make a decision um, of doing what is right uh, versus what's comfortable. And yeah. Um, there are always going to be people that are going to need advocacy. There are going to always be people that won't have the ability or the educational set or the access to be able to speak up for themselves. And if I have the ability to do that, then why can't I do it? So that started me down that path. I just didn't know that it would be here, um, uh, you know, a a couple years later. So um, it's always been inside of me to to speak up for what's right. And it's not easy, uh, but that's part of my calling. And and speaking of that, speaking of that real real quick, speaking of that, you you know, it's, you know, there's a lot of national conversation around kind of voting, right? And I think a lot of the conversation, a lot of people's understanding of voting generally just has to do with the president, right? The national, kind of the national president. And maybe a little bit to the Senate for the most part, but for the most part, it seems to be focused around national kind of ideas. Whereas there's a, obviously a lot of influence that a lot of local elections have, particularly for where you live. I mean, a lot of times, in some ways, it can even be more important to vote yeah. locally. Uh, in terms of what your day-to-day life is going to look like. So talk to us a little bit about what exactly is it that your responsibilities are as a Columbus City Council member? What is it that you guys actually do? Yeah, so we pass everyday um, statutes and laws that you can feel as a resident of Columbus the very next day. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we deal with, we handle the budget, um, where we're creating uh, legislation, uh, things that an, an everyday resident is going to, um, that can either help or uh, um, provide some type of hindrance in their life. And so it's very important to be uh, aware of what is happening locally. Uh, so it can be something as minor as trash pickup. Right. Mm. Um, And who is getting those contracts? You know, when you talk Mm. about um, diversity and access and inclusion, I mean, that really runs the the gamut. And so Mm. you want to make sure uh, that uh, the city is being responsible and who it doles those awards, those contracts to. Um, So if you don't have the right people in power, um, elected officials in power that are not going to uphold those values that you find uh, very important, uh, you can find you can see how quickly um, um, things can get out of get out of hand and people are not represented adequately. Um, so I always encourage people to, to pay attention to pay attention to what's happening um, locally. And I don't know if if, um, if I have a little opportunity just to say this, too. I mean, there were uh, huge primary elections that were held around the country yesterday, uh, in particular, New York and Kentucky. And so oftentimes we find that people uh, don't participate in primaries. They wait until November to participate. But now people understand that, number one, there's generally more than one candidate for each party. Right. it's about getting the right candidate in each party to the to the polls. Right. right. Um, and so in places like Kentucky, 
where we just had the issue of um, the excessive force with Breonna Taylor. Mm -hmm. uh, it is, it is, it is life saving that we get the right person uh, in Congress representing an area like Kentucky, right? Yeah. Um, when you think about New York and how contentious things have been there, um, and, and there was a, um, a, a congressman who was caught recently on tape who had an African-American opponent um, who said, he was caught on a hot mic and said, I'm only out here marching and it was a Black Lives Matter march uh, because I, I'm, I have a race. And that was only mm. been in office for 15, 16 years. You get those people out of here, right? Yeah. But yeah. we have been, as a society, we haven't been as aware as we should have been how important those elections are. So whether it's local elections or your state elections um, or national elections, we just have to we have to take ownership of where we have um, uh, we have misstepped and just mm. start participating in the electoral process. Right. Yeah. yeah, I think that's very valuable, specifically what you said in places that we haven't been represented before specifically yeah. um, that we need to focus in there. Um, but I wanted to kind of, since we're, we're here now, talk about what's going on in Columbus specifically. Um, we're making the news um, for a lot of the wrong reasons and early on in COVID for a lot of the right reasons, right? Um, so it's like, we are this state that even from an electoral process, they call us a swing state, right? We're like mm -hmm. generally in the middle. Why do you think that specifically now when the events recently have finally triggered this city to act aggressively, right? In doing such things as taking down the Columbus statue and even having the conversation around changing, changing the name. Why do you think now is the time? Everyone's known the history but no one's really confronted it until now. Why do you think that is at a government level? Yeah, well, you know, the the short answer is the political will is there to do it right now, right? It's yeah. it's the um, it's the flavor of the month. Everybody wants to prove that they are um, woke enough, they're they're uh, they're educated enough that they um, they understand what is happening in Black and Brown communities, and they want to appear as responsive as possible. And that's that's a good thing to a certain degree. Um, I wanted to come from a place of actual genuineness, right? And so when we think about um, how some of our corporations are jumping on board uh, with the movement and this awareness that it's not that they haven't been aware, right? Uh, but there hasn't been the political will, the, the courage that it would take to actually do some of the things that we're advocating from a governmental level to, to, to do, uh, but also from a corporate level to do. Uh, so, you know, when you have an actual lynching, the murder of a man on, on TV, um, you cannot deny once again uh, that we have a serious problem in our country and Columbus is not um, absolved from that. We have had our own issues of excessive force in our community and we have to own that. Mm -hmm. Right. We can't just look at what has happened um, in Minneapolis or in Atlanta and say, oh, that's just them. And that's not Columbus. That's that. That could not be further from the truth. And in right. fact, the state of Ohio has had a problem with excessive mm -hmm. force that yeah. we have to own and take and, and take ownership over accountability for. So, yeah, the time is now. And if you're in this space and you cannot muster the courage uh, to to call those things out as they are. You don't deserve to be in this space. Mm 
Yeah. You don't deserve to be an elected official. Now is the time to be as bold and, and don't be afraid to ask for what is absolutely right. And what is absolutely right is just common decency mm-hmm. for, for equality, for equity. Mm-hmm. That, is, that is what people of color are asking for right now. Yeah, there's a lot of other things on the, on the, on the agenda. Um, you know, you could throw reparations in there. You can throw 40 acres in a mule and you can throw all those types of things. But at, at the base level, it's see me as a human. Mm-hmm. Right? See me as a human. See me as a person that bleeds just like. Um, Let me ask you a question on that. Let yeah. me ask you a question on that one, that point specifically. Um, and this is just more of a kind of a personal question. That that uh, request, I guess you can say, or demand rather, is to see me as a person in a country that has not always seen people who look like us as even a full person. I mean, you're talking about literally written into the Constitution or into early documents that we are three fifths of a person all the way to kind of how people, you know, and that's extended far beyond slavery into Jim Crow and obviously many other things. How do you even is this and this may be rhetorical, maybe not be able to be answered, but how do you even really get people who don't see you as a person? How do you even start to have that conversation to get people to see you as a person? So I view I view this two ways. I view it one is, you know, you try to educate people better, right? Because I think part of the reason why people believe what they believe is because, you know, black people particularly have been branded a certain way in yeah. uh historically and in the media and deliberately, right? That's number one. The second thing I think is put in measures that even if you don't see me that way, that it's going to be hard for you to act out on it. Right. And that's like, you know, for example, justice. Right. If, yeah. if you see me that if, if we all these th- cases that we saw, we saw justice, we would be reacting the same way. So it, I guess it's just a kind of a personal question. How do we even address those issues at, at, at a base level? You know, it is a um, it is a day-to-day reset, if I could just be completely honest, because um, that's just who I am. It is it's a, um, it is a daily battle that I think a, um, um, I'm gonna just speak specifically for, as, a, as a black person, um, as an African-American. Um, someone, someone, there's a quote that says, to be educated and conscious as an African-American is to always to be in a state of rage. Yeah, right? James Baldwin. James yeah. Baldwin. Yeah. yeah, my homeboy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and so you understand that um, the space that we are in as black people, um, it's, it's, a, um, it's a gift and a curse. Mm-hmm. Um, that the things that we that have been um, put upon us to carry, uh, we never asked for, uh, we did not create those things, but they're here. And there is a moment for us to um, to be the, 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 the change that we absolutely wanna see in this country. Yeah. And for me, I always have to keep in the forefront of my mind, no matter how much my heart breaks, um, no matter um, how hurtful this moment is, that there were people that came before me that died so I could be in this space. I cannot, I, I can't give up right now, mm-hmm. right? I, I can't, like there were, and, and if you really, if you think about slavery and civil war and then reconstruction and then Jim Crow, I mean, we come from a history of people 
who have been brutally um, beaten and and chastised and and held as capital as as products as as a commodity mm-hmm. but yet we are still here mm-hmm. i am still sitting in um an elected position i'm not supposed to be here mm-hmm. And so that means that there's a higher calling, there's a higher purpose, and the journey isn't over for black and brown people yet. And we all have a part to play. And so to answer your question, I recognize what my role is right now. My role is to speak truth to power and and to be as um, courageous and brave as I can mm-hmm. and give honor to those who came before me. Yeah. Yeah, that makes that, that makes yeah. a lot of sense. I actually specifically getting into specifics like at, at the city level, one thing I read about you is that that you specifically worked um in dealing with abandoned buildings and blight. Mm-hmm. And that's something that's someone who looks at real estate, it's something that's always been interesting to me, right? Yeah. Is it like you have these communities that get completely abandoned mm-hmm. and but every time every year you're seeing a new community that a lot of money is being invested in right we see the gentrification we see what's happened in old town east and in columbus for example and the question that's rarely asked is or cared about is what happens to those people who had lived there for generations and have built a family in a community there that are pushed out it's happening nationwide you go back to redlining i just with your experience i just wanted you to kind of speak on your position on those issues and what what you've learned actually addressing them. Yeah, you know, the the story of housing and uh, public housing in America is, um, it, it, it is, it's very interesting. And I think that when people think of ghettos or they think of projects or any subsidized housing, they automatically equate that with black and brown people. Mm-hmm. But the reality is that public housing was built for uh, medium uh, income white people. Mm-hmm. Like that, that's how it got started. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, you know, history tells us that um, even after slavery ended, and even as we were going through Reconstruction and 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 um, and Jim Crow, um, black people still were fighting for just decency, safe and affordable housing, and you know there were restrictive covenants put in place where government uh, government entities were awarding contracts to developers who would help keep segregation in place, help create communities that were only for white people. And in fact, if you did allow your house to be, um, um, you sold a house to a black family um, or resold it to a black family, you could lose that insurance. You could lose that assistance from the government. So all of the incentive was there to create what we know now as ghettos as what we know now as these blighted communities. So the work that I was doing at the Columbus City Attorney's House, City Attorney's Office, excuse me, uh, was to abate public nuisances. These areas, these homes, whether it's um, an actual house or a gas station, a nightclub, if you were committing crimes, if you allowed those places to sit vacant um, or to be used for drug activity, 
we would bring injunctive actions to stop that activity because the reality is that you're not doing that in Dublin, right? Yeah. You're not you're not doing that in New Albany, but you're doing it down on the Near East Side. You're doing it on Long Street. You know, I remember um, I brought a lawsuit against a uh, convenience store, and we know that a lot of our communities ha- are um, food deserts. And so one of the only places that people can get milk and eggs and things like that are our convenience stores, which is another problem. I'll I'll digress from that. But this one in particular was running drugs out of there, out of of the out of the convenience store right on Long Street. And so once the once um, uh, our officers went in there and our investigators went in there, I I, I, it was an insane amount of uh, crack in the ceiling. You know, and where kids come and get their food. This is where our elderly folks are getting their their necessities. That's not right. Right. That's not right. And to go alongside that, the place was in such disrepair that at any point, a person could have just fell through the the ground floor into the basement of the building. The coolers were sinking the floor in. That's where our people were going. And that's not that's not fair to me. That's not right for me. And that type of work which was that also helped to inform my decision to run for council because there's no way I could let that just happen in the area that I was responsible for as a city attorney. I wanted to carry that act, that action out for the whole entire city of Columbus. Yeah. I have yeah. a question too. I have a question too, because it, it seems like a lot of this stuff is related. Um, housing, unemployment, yes. crime, all of these things are related. And one of the things that's been a topic through kind of this period of time you know, the antagonists have brought up black on black crime, which is a fake term, right? It's just crime, right? It's a crime. People c- commit crime to people close to their vicinity. It's yeah. like 90% of crimes that black people commit are against black people and high 80% of crimes that white people commit are against and, white people. It's just crime. And nobody wants to take accountability for the culture that's created here. Well, and that and that's what's going to be my question, which is that you cannot separate crime from the history, right? So, but you also have to I guess police, so to speak, crime. It's kind of a, a a weird kind of situation to be in. How do you actually reconcile that as a city council person who understands the history, understands that a lot of the crime, like you just mentioned, some of it was is was just by terrible circumstances, but a lot of it was actually intentional. The where, where people were pushed, opportunities that people were prevented from getting, housing opportunities, schooling, education, and that forced a lot of people into to crime. How do you actually reconcile that? That's the thing that I've, I've had trouble with recently. How do you reconcile the fact that, okay, well, we can't let crime happen, but we also have to acknowledge the reason why it exists and take ownership for that? Yes, and not only recognize it and take ownership over it, but do something about it. Mm-hmm. That's the most important know, thing. Yeah, like if you know that the resources are not there, mm-hmm. right? If, if educational resources are not there, if job opportunities are there, if job opportunities are there, but they're not even paying what needs what a person needs to make in order to survive in Columbus, Ohio right now, there's still going to be lack. Right. Mm-hmm. There's so many uh, contributing factors to why somebody decides to commit a crime. We have mm-hmm. to acknowledge that, take yeah. ownership of it and do something about it. Yeah. That's fine here. And yeah. that's reconcile that because I understand that the educational opportunities access to different um, opportunities it's not there in our in in our communities right and a lot of that is impacted by you know how uh, housing and redlining um, has and redlining was was, um, uh, in Columbus like that was a real thing in Columbus 
And you know what happened most most recently with the housing crisis in 2009 is shameful. Absolutely. And when you talk about, you know, gentrification, that is real. I live on the side. Old Town East, I yes, it is. So that, that, that's where, where why I was asking the question I asked, because you see it. They have the money. Yes. They have the ability to take the worst neighborhood and turn it into the best neighborhood. Exactly. Why, exactly. why do they pick and choose when they want to do it? And it's always based on the population of people that are going there. Exactly. And that's the, you know, and I think Mecca got to this earlier is, okay, there's a fair housing act right where you can't they tell all landlords i've been a landlord so i know that you can't discriminate based on race right but in actuality how do you actually police something like that yes it's under law but i know for a fact as a landlord that landlords throughout the country are not leasing in in predominantly white neighborhoods still to african-americans and minorities and let me tell you something real quick on that too v that just reminded me of I, I was at Avis. This is a car rental place in, and this was actually in New Jersey. And I became kind of friendly with the guys because I used to rent my cars from them. And they told me that when they would get calls about cars, if the person lived in a certain zip code or area code, wait, zip code, zip code. they wouldn't rent. They wouldn't. They wouldn't rent yeah. the cars to them. So they yeah. wouldn't tell them a reason. They would just say. Oh, sorry. There are no cars available, and that this yeah. is a practice that they had had happening for years. And what yeah. you just said reminded me of that. Is like, how do you even police that? How do you even deal with issues like that? And yeah, yeah. You know, I, I started kind of smiling, laughing when um, you, you started that introduction, and it's it's. So this is why voting is is so important as mm -hmm. well. Uh, because when you think of something like the Fair Housing Act and why why that is so important, um, if we just we look at our national, we look at our our, our, um, our our White House, right? Your president and who you put in place as a president. Now, those people might not get um, they're not they don't they don't face elections, right? Those are positions, and so the. Uh, director of um, housing, the Secretary of Housing and Development. Ben Carson. Yes. <laughs> he knows nothing about, about it. <laughs> it's funny, but it's not funny at all. It's so right? sad. It's, it's, yeah. it's so not important. But that's why it's so important to, to exercise your right to vote. Because you, when you pick the leader, you're also putting your your faith that that leader is going to select the right people to be in the right positions. We're in the same conversation. I mean, all of us have, you know, uh, gone to, to, to uh, college, right? When you think about, I don't know if you guys have student loans, but I went to law school mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. I got, I got student loans. Okay. Yes, yes, and yes. you think of who's in charge of education. Mm -hmm. Right. <laughs> these decisions? Yeah. Never yes the experience of public education yeah and understanding the intricacies of that which is completely different than a private education yeah and, and there's, there's no judgment there but there's also the understanding that you're going to have to make provisions for those who are going through the public education process yeah. that you're not going to do uh for those who have gone because you can pay for it outright right you know? right Right. That's one of the re I am one of the very reasons why the wealth, um, why uh, Black Americans' wealth has been stagnant for 70 years, for 70 mm -hmm. years. Mm -hmm. 
And the fact that we have a college education does nothing to mitigate that at all. Yeah. yeah. Let me ask you a question. Let me ask you a question on education since you just brought it up. One of the things that I think uh, has started to dominate certain conversations now is education, right? And I think a lot of people, white and black and, and other, are starting to realize that the education that they received in this country uh, was woefully inadequate and deliberately left out a lot of different yeah. significant parts of not just black history, but our history as a country. Yeah. And, um, and, and a lot of people have started to like really examine like, wow, what was I taught? What wasn't I taught? Why wasn't I taught it? Yeah. How do we address that issue now? Because I think, again, part of what, what, you know, or at least white white people and other people and even black people to a certain degree think about black history a lot of it is shaped from what they learned in school so if you learn that you know slavery is something that happened hundreds of years ago civil rights movement happened and after martin luther king was shot that everything changed and everything's been good that yeah. in a lot of ways and you haven't taken any other courses in college like we did and stuff like that that in a lot of ways shapes your kind of impression and a lot of people's impressions are being changed now what do you think can be done about that to actually, you know, make sure that we our history is actually included and people start to get educated about these things. Yeah, you know, this is um it's troubling. I I read a tweet over the weekend uh from uh Trump um acknowledging from his perspective that he made Juneteenth popular. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, I after you get over the initial anger of that comment, it's actually an indictment on our education system in the United States of America. Yep. That's nothing to be boasting about. Mm -hmm. you know? mm -hmm. And what I have seen from a lot of um, my white colleagues and, and friends has been this um, this moment of like, wow, I didn't know what I didn't know. Mm -hmm. I really didn't know what I didn't know. And so that's one of the um, amazing things of the internet, I think right now and social media, because in real time, you can kind of, to the best of your ability, um, um, present a good argument to some of that nonsense. Mm -hmm. um, people want to get educated in this moment. There are so many resources that are available at their fingertips. I mean, the internet didn't even work for us when we were in college like this, right? Right, right. right. But it's available now. Um, but it's a, it's a travesty what is, no, has happened. Nobody has, nobody has an excuse to be ignorant with the no. internet, essentially, is what you're, no. what you're, what you're saying. And, and I think that this is also an opportunity for, I think, the majority to own where, what part they have played in this. Right. Yeah. Um, what I have been saying and trying to convey this message is I think for a lot of and we like to use this term progressives, you know, mm -hmm. uh, uh, white people that are woke, so to speak. But Amy Cooper was a progressive mm -hmm. and she still called the police on Christian Cooper, who was mm -hmm. a black man uh, bird watching. Right. Yeah. Um, and so I think there's a disconnect for many white people who think that just because they don't use the N word, mm -hmm. they, there's not racism there. That yeah. because they voted for Obama and they've got black friends, that they are not racist. Mm -hmm. And you have got, you as the person in the majority, have to take a step back and see if you're part of the problem because you hold those very same beliefs. Yeah. Right? And all we can do is 
continue to uh, be in our truth and speak these things. But the reality is that I alone can't do this. Yeah. We're not we're not completely we're not, we don't have the power by ourselves to be able to do this. One, quick, so, qu- one quick question, V, real yeah. quick. It's just on that. As far as the, edu- the specific education of like, yeah. is that something that you guys actually have a hand in designing? No, we don't. Okay. How does, do where, does that, where does that come from? State. Mm. Yeah, that's the state legislature. So okay. we um, we help to support uh, up until pre-K, okay. but that is that is state legislature. So if you wanted to like petition about getting things changed, where, how do you do it? So, so, but, so because, because you went there, let's go ahead and go there. Okay. Because I think in Columbus, and I'm not sure of the reach of this, of the podcast, but Columbus is, can at some times appear like a bubble because there's, we're so, um, people might disagree with me right now because of what the civil unrest that we have. Um, but you know, we have held one of the largest LGBT, uh, Q plus marches in the country. Uh, we, we have so many universities and, you know, consistently rated one of the best places for minorities too. Yeah. What, one of the, you know, very, very, uh, very, very welcoming, but at the same time, that doesn't reflect the state of Ohio. Mm-hmm. So when you look at the state legislature, the state legislature, it, it's they have a the Republicans have a supermajority. Yeah. And so Democrats, they could where the city of Columbus just passed some legislation acknowledging that racism is a public health crisis. Mm-hmm. The state tried to do that as well. They're still trying to do it. And they couldn't even get past, you know, why do black people? Why are black people getting COVID more than white people is because they don't mm-hmm. wash their hands. So mm-hmm. that's where we're at at the state. Right. Yeah. yeah, and so, that's and Ohio, yeah. you yeah. get you get out of any of the cities in Ohio, and you realize that there is a lot of the same mentality that's in the deep South. It's kind of like mm-hmm. this dichotomy that's very very interesting. Yeah, um, and that sheds some light on it. I wanted to ask, circle back, and this is kind of a broad focusing on education, right? But I think one of the overall issues that that we're talking about is a lack of education, mm-hmm. and of the citizens of this country, right? Um, there is a lot of ignorance, willful or and trained. But a lot of that you, in capitalism, you look at where are the resources going, right? Mm-hmm. And at the federal level, the thing that I always look at is how much is spent on defense versus everything else. And then you get, and then you study this at the city level and, and getting to you is that that same is true at the city level. There's more spent on policing in almost every city major city in America then is spent on the development yeah. of the community. And why, why do you think that that has been that case historically and continues to be? Well, the history of police in our country really dates back to slavery. I mean, police were created in order for um, slave owners to be able to get their property back. Right. To, to protect actual property, not just human property, but to, act, to protect actual property. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we are we are working off of uh, a somewhat flawed model, which is some of the reasons why a lot of people advocate that reform is just not possible. That policing is doing what it was exactly created to do, even in 2020. Yeah. Um, and so I'm in the camp that, uh, you know, we do have to. Uh, be even more critical of how we allocate money, uh, not only in the city of Columbus, but on a federal level as well. Um, but I, I can only speak for us and what my position is, 
is that I don't think that police officers should be um, having to um, administer Narcan to somebody who is ODN. Like, I, I think that should be t- for a health professional to be able to do that. That shouldn't be that officer's job. I don't think that officers should have to respond to, you know, um, mental health crisis moments um, or dealing with um, individuals who are hoarders. Like, I think that we there's an opportunity for for us to level set in this country as to what policing looks like in 2020 and beyond and what it is we actually expect. I think we expect too much of officers mm-hmm. um, to do things that they are not trained to do, but are responsible for doing in our community. And I think it's time to to spread that around. So here's an interesting thing about, about like the whole conversation, and this is like the, the funding the police conversation, right? And how does that look? Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because I think you know, there's a branding of it that some people have a visceral reaction to. They hear defunding. They're like, ah, what does that mean? We don't want police anymore. And so that people stop listening. Um, but then I think there's a, a way that you kind of presented it, which is that we need to kind of reallocate resources and, you know, social workers can deal with certain things. It doesn't always have to be the police. But then I think there's a there's a position that's even more towards the middle, I guess you can say, which is that let's not let this conversation just come down to oh poor police they have to deal with too many things let's take some of the things out of their hands and let's actually deal with some of the things that you said the origins of policing how they're actually policing even if you take out 50 percent of them how they're policing in those areas and and who's overseeing and and who's overseeing them right you can't have a a legislative body whose results are in direct correlation with the police right you can't how do you how do you unwind these things? And you guys are the lawyers, so I'm going to ask you answer. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and, and that and that's the thing is like, I mean, obviously, and then, you know, you realize that, you know, that there are different precincts and they're different, you know, police at local and state level. Like there isn't a national necessarily like thing for policing. So some of these issues you have to look at state by state and even more local. City by city, right? Yeah, city, yeah, city and, by yeah, city. City by city. But I guess the question is, how do we, you know, how do we, in your, I guess your opinion, if you were the one that was in charge and you were the one that was going to determine exactly how this thing would go, and let's just talk about the city of Columbus, how would we, what would be the steps that we would go to kind of reforming some of these things? One issue, like you said, is what are police responding to? Yes, we're, we have them responding to too many things. But the other issue, which is equally important, if not more important, is how they're actually policing techniques, strategies, the justice yeah. system, um, racial bias, all of those type of things. How do we deal with those? How would we actually deal with those? Because it's so deep, and I know it's a hard question. Yeah. It's so deep, yeah. It is, and it's it's not it's not an easy process. And I think, um, you know, if people are looking for police reform overnight, they don't want real reform. Yeah, yeah. Because what we can do today is really um, in part dictated by the FOP contract, mm-hmm. and so. Um, that is a carefully negotiated um, yeah. thing, yeah. right? That we just willy nilly can't go say, okay, change that today. Right. right. Um, now, our contract is up at the end of the year, and the mayor, Mayor Ginther, has been very clear about um, his position on the FOP needing to be a part of this process, that we need you to be 
um, a willing participant in police reform and and the changing that needs to happen uh, with rebuilding um, or building uh, um, positive community police relations. Um, You know, to some degree, and, you know, and arguably I, I agree that I don't know if it's ever been really good Mm-hmm. between black and brown communities and police. No, no. I, I am, I, I'm, a, I'm an individual who's actually worked with police and have had moments of like that visceral reaction when, you know, an officer comes at you crazy. Mm-hmm. You know, like mm-hmm. I was down, I've been at a, a lot of the marches uh, and protests over the past three weeks I was down when it kind of hit the fan on um, that Saturday in Columbus now two and a half weeks ago. And nobody cared that I was an elected official. I still mm-hmm. got to fight. Mm-hmm. You know, so yeah. at the yeah. day, I'm 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 part, I'm I'm black. Yeah. I'm a black woman, right? Mm-hmm. And so what we need at this moment is for um, the police to um, be a part of the system that is acknowledging um where mistakes have gone like mm-hmm. call things out as they are yes. and should be officers who are competent enough and confident enough in their jobs um as uh to say what happened to George Floyd is a um it is a travesty to our body as police officers yes like this is not what we believe in as officers uh, whether it's in the city of Columbus or anywhere, we, yeah. we absolutely that's what bothered me that that didn't seem to happen at a national level. It, it did not, and, and it seems like this, and it seemed like it was a missed opportunity. That was a, kind of a fairly easy one. Yeah, I think for the most, yeah, I think for the most part, this was one where you could say George Floyd. The reason people always ask, well, what was it about the George Floyd one that you think finally set the world off? And I think it was because it was nine minutes. I think it was because yeah. there was video. I think it was because. You could see that he wasn't resisting. There was no threat to the officer. It was everything that they, that the stories that you kind of hear, oh, he was reaching, oh, I feared for my life, oh, it was a quick reaction, all that type of stuff didn't exist there. And so I felt like it was an easy situation and the perfect opportunity for the good police officers to come out and brand themselves and say, listen, we distance ourselves from this type of policing completely. That is a complete travesty. We will do everything in our power to make sure that never happens in our departments. We are going to retrain our officers to make sure. Blah blah. I mean, it was just like the like we said, a layup. Yeah. And they failed. They failed nationally with that, and that's part of the reason why you're seeing some of the visceral reaction across yeah. the country. The, the, the police overall have instigated a lot of the violence and issues by the way that they are policing these protests and rallies. The moment if you come out in riot gear and tear gas people, what do you think is going to happen? That 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 creates a reaction, right? Yeah, it does. I, I think that, you know, as as leaders, I think that you build community trust by acknowledging not only your successes, but your failures. Like, yes. And I don't think there's anything wrong in that. No. I think that that that's why the community doesn't trust us why the community um, doesn't trust officers and, um, you know, corporate America. Like people are so ego driven and so afraid of looking, I don't know, wrong, bad, whatever, weak, that they don't see the strength in acknowledging your downfall. And this is not who and what I am. Right. So let's talk about real quick, too. We talked about this a little bit earlier. But, um, you know, like the Columbus, Columbus itself, right? And now Columbus is actually facing unique issues 
Yeah. Um, obviously, they're dealing with the policing issues like that, but they're also dealing with the word and Columbus and the meaning behind it. And the statue has now come down, uh, Columbus State. And now there's talks of changing the name, some suggest Flavortown, whatever. But I guess I guess I have a couple questions. One is, what do you think kind of about that idea, right? Because what I what I tweeted on, on Twitter was that people think that just because something has been longstanding means that it hasn't been, that it's not problematic and it hasn't been problematic, right? So just because it's been standing for a hundred years does not mean that it's not problematic. So that's number one. But then the second thing I guess, and I guess this is kind of as a council member and as an attorney, what would actually have to happen if we really did want to change the name of Columbus and we did want to acknowledge, you know, his history and those ills, what would actually have to happen legally to get that to happen? So uh, the, the, the conversation about um, the statute and the statutes around the country, because it's not just in Columbus. Right. Um, you know, I, I have been um, hit because I've been very vocal about, you know, my position as it relates to this stuff. And, you know, the reality is that your history is is not um, like encapsulated in a statute. Mm -hmm. right? Right. And not all history is meant to be celebrated. Mm -hmm. And there's a difference there. Um, yeah. Reality is that for the most part, all of white history is memorialized in our history books. Black mm -hmm. history is not. Mm -hmm. Our indigenous history is not. And that's the problem. That yeah. history, black and brown and indigenous history has been reduced down to Martin Luther King mm -hmm. and um, Sojourner Truth. Yeah. Not even Sojourner Truth, I went too far. Maybe here right. it's right. Yeah. And that's all people know about slavery. Literally, that's in a couple of boats. That's yeah. all that they know. And so, of course, there's going to be some visceral reaction from the majority who doesn't have the true history of what we know to be true. Right. So I'm OK with these uncomfortable conversations that are happening because I am extending grace to people that just do not know. Yeah. It's it's really it's it's. Um, it's ignorance. Yeah. It's it's yeah. just, it's just it, you don't know what you don't know. Yeah. And the reality is that once again, um, we can present that information, but you as the individual, and we're if we're just talking about the majority here who might be having that visceral reaction, you gotta you at some point you have to take a step back and say, uh -huh. My God, maybe I don't know everything. Right. I knew and maybe something was missing from my history books. I go back to Juneteenth yeah. again. Yeah. That has always been there. Yeah. I have a group of friends. We celebrate Juneteenth every year. The yeah. fact that you don't know doesn't say anything about me. It says something more about you and the mm -hmm. education that you did not receive. Yeah. So that means that there is there is a moment that um, those who are in power in that space they're going to have to be the ones to start instigating some of that change. And also some of it has to be physically changed in, yeah. in textbooks, right? Columbus did not discover America. Like they have to acknowledge that, right? And that's the thing is they don't want to acknowledge. There are some people who just do not want to acknowledge the truth of that history, right? Yeah. And, and that's why it's not written about in the history books because it's something that if we acknowledge, we have to acknowledge the overall issue that we have as America that's kind of being exposed fully to the world right now. Right. Well, yeah. and also think things as that it also makes you have to examine 
who you are, right? Because a lot of who you are is based on who you've been taught to believe that you are. And I think that's part of why this has been so uncomfortable for a lot of people is they're starting to say, wait, if this happened and wait, this happened and hold on and that happened and wait, then what does that make mean for my life? What does that mean for how my life developed? And my grandfather who was able to leave me you know, like I have a friend, a white friend whose grandfather left him like acres of land in South Carolina, you know, that he's just waiting to cash in on. It's yeah. like, we don't have, we don't have that. In our, we don't have that in our communities. You know what I mean? Yeah. So like, yeah. um, so, so I, I wanted to get to the, back to this question because I asked you this yeah. and I know it's kind of a long question, but if we, if we really did want to change the name, what, what's, do you know what the process is for that? Like, would it be a vote? I actually, I actually haven't even started going down that path. Right, right, right. And I know I've heard Flavor Town, which is yeah. what in the world? Come on. Yeah. Um, I, I, to be honest with you, I'm more, um, I, I'm more concerned of this around the statue than the actual name. Yeah. Um, because I think we in Columbus have owned Columbus to the degree that we really highlight the us at the end of Columbus. Mm-hmm. And it to me, it, it's starting to take on, it has always taken on a different meaning. I, I, I don't think of him when I think of, when I say the name Columbus, it doesn't even yeah. cross my mind, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. It's almost like really becoming the word. Yeah. I'm sorry. It's like reclaiming the word and kind of giving it your own your own meaning for it. Yeah, that's exactly, right. exactly. But there is a difference, I believe, in um, having these statutes of individuals uh, who have um, been responsible for atrocities mm-hmm. uh, in this in this country. Yeah. Uh, oh, you went out for just a second. Yeah, I, yeah. You know, I think there's this this reconciliation moment for for a lot. <laughs> Technical difficulties. I hope she caught it too, though. She's still talking. She was saying something. Yeah, she said that uh, we went out, so I'm sure that we. Yeah, I wonder what's going on. She said her Wi-Fi was having some issues, so. Yeah. It's a nightmare. This has been good, though. I mean, this is... Are you back? Yeah. You guys there? Okay. Yeah. Got you back. I told y'all this uh, Wi-Fi was being a little shady today. We were just hoping Um, that you caught it because you were saying something. I was like, I hope she's not still talking. (laughs) You know, I think that some, some people are starting to reconcile with the fact that their comfort has been built on our discomfort. It has been built on our, on, on people dying and people having sacrificed themselves for generations in order for this idea of the American dream to be a reality for only a select few of people. And now as the country has, has transition to being browner, that can no longer be the story because, I mean, we're all connected as it is, but now you have black grandchildren and you have a um, a, uh, a white uh, granddaughter. And, and so right. those conversations um, and the motivation uh, to think outside of your world is really there for people where it, it hasn't been in the past. So. And, that, and that's, that's true. And I think that is one of the kind of uh, results of, I guess, integration, so to speak, even though there's still a lot of segregation, is that people are not being exposed to people that they haven't been exposed to before. People are starting to intermingle and, and procreate with people. And like you said, create, 
Mm-hmm. You know, I, I've, had, I've had white people tell me they didn't realize racism until they had, they procreated with someone black and they had a child and saw mm-hmm. how their child was even treated differently than they were and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, um, but one thing I do want to ask you before we get to something fun too is, you know, and you've talked about this a little bit, but like the challenges of being kind of a, I guess, you know, a double minority. I talked to my sisters about this a lot. You're, you're black and you're also a woman. So some of the challenges that you faced um, as you've been trying to navigate you know, kind of through this, you know, political landscape and even being an, an attorney. And then also, I guess, something more positive that you would kind of advice that you would give young women who are looking up to you who kind of want to do what you're doing. Um, yeah. What would you say to them? So I, so some of the challenges, so the interesting for for people don't, that don't know my actual story with counsel, uh, there was a seat that had been vacated by um, an African-American woman. Her name is uh, Jaisa Page. She was elected to one of our judicial seats in Columbus. Um, And so that left a vacancy on uh, counsel. And so I, along with 20-ish other people, no, actually it was more than that. And then it got narrowed down, applied for that open seat. And then I was selected to fill her seat. And then that very same year, I also had to run to keep the seat. Mm-hmm. So like, it was a whole lot. And right. And, right. right? Um, and so very quickly, I understood um, in a way that was just, that I didn't know before, like how, like, how privilege really does work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> all the time while she's saying something really good too you know? yeah they don't want it they don't want the world to hear they don't right. want they, they don't want it to be great this is this has been good though she's uh she's really really good i can see her being president one day yeah hopefully it's, we're about to wrap up so hopefully she can regain uh regain wi-fi and then we can let okay know who we are. How are you guys going to fix the problems if you can't fix the Wi-Fi? I don't know what's going on. I, I don't know. I don't know what's going on. Get the bandwidth down because everybody's been working from home and now we're coming back. I don't know. Anyway, I'll get back. I'll, I'll do it quickly. Um, it's already difficult for women to raise money in political environments. Yeah. I think it's, you know, you add even a little extra level on that as an African-American woman. Yeah. Um, and so I, I found, I was trying to find my footing last year um, and, and, and trying to be successful as a first time candidate, um, and, and a very difficult and very contentious race. There was a very contentious race for city council last year. Um, but what I recognized very quickly is that I needed to just be me yeah. like without a shadow of a doubt. I did not need to pretend to be like my white colleagues. I was the only black, um, candidate on my ticket. Um, people needed to see me and me completely. Mm-hmm. And I think that sometimes as, um, as as black people, you feel the need to have to filter yourself. Mm-hmm. So, like, there's like this duality of it that we're always walking in all the time. Mm-hmm. But that is how we're able to stay successful, how we don't turn into the angry black man or the angry black woman. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's what I really mean when it relates to privilege. Like I have had to really um, learn painfully that there are spaces where I can show up completely and I'm not going to be labeled the angry black woman that but mm-hmm. people are ready to receive it. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but that just means that not just me, but everyone who looks like me has to do that. Yeah. And then 
then America adjusts, right? right. We have adjusted so much um, yeah. in order to be successful, whatever that yeah. means, right. um, that we, we don't come fully as ourselves. Yeah. And what the world needs is Shayla to be genuine. Yeah. For both of you to be genuine every single day. Yeah. Uh, and then for us to go out and do what we've been called to do. But we can't do that pretending to be someone else. Yeah. You know, I, that I think, that's, yeah. No, that's, I, that's, that's, a, that's a great point. Yeah. Uh, yeah. One last question on, on your work to leave it kind of in an optim another optimistic note. What about Columbus gives you hope? You're in there now. You're, you're working at the grassroots level. You're working within the government. What gives you hope for this city? Um, you know, I think um, over the past three and a half weeks, um, I've been to, you know, almost a dozen different marches and protests. That's what gives me hope that I have gone to events organized by our LGBTQ community, our BLM community, um, our the youth um, folks that you think might not even be advocating in this space right now. And it, it's just been incredible to see that type of support in ways that we've never seen it before. I told you I live on the Near East Side, uh, which has is is very interesting, right? It's a, it's a mix, yes. right? Yeah. And I I take these walks, and one day I saw in just one walk, um, Black Lives Matter uh, posted on these historical homes that are white owned. I saw um, a case of water set out for folks who were just in support of the movement. Take water if you need it, right? Like, I've never seen that before. Yeah, That's what gives me hope about Columbus, that we have leaders and people who are accessible in ways that you go to other different cities and you couldn't just be, if you wanted to meet with the CEO of Nationwide, you could probably do it today. Like, that's how accessible we are to each other in Columbus, and you don't have that in other places. And when it comes to movements like this, those people are saying, what can we do? How can we help? That's, yeah. That's what gives me hope. Yeah, that's awesome. All right, so we're going to get you out of here on something fun, uh, off the subject completely. So okay. the first question we have for you is, who are your top five musicians of all time? Personal, personal list. Okay, of all time. Um, so of all time, I'm going to say, uh, I got to throw MJ in there. I'm throwing Michael Jackson in there. Don't come for me in the comments. I don't know if there's a comment. <laughs> Um, Jill Scott, mm -hmm. all day. Yeah. Um, Sade, mm -hmm. and I, I always put this in terms of like who I would actually pay to see. Okay. Um, who else would I put in my category? I love anything that is in this like chill realm. So there's an artist, I think she's from uh, up north, actually, Cleveland-ish, Alana Baraz. Like, I love, like, love her music. Like, every album okay. she's put out. Um, and then... Uh-oh. Uh we, yeah. we have to wait yeah. for the good one. <laughs> we have to wait for the good one. Who do you think it's gonna be? You think it's gonna be a, a singer? You think it's gonna be a rapper? Maybe Prince. Erica Badu. Prince. Yeah. I think it's gonna be a rapper. So I think I think it's gonna be like Tupac. 
Morning Hill. Morning Hill. That'd be BC if she shows up. Listen, you guys better not be talking about me calling me Teddy Riley uh, no. or Nelly. No, okay? no, we didn't. We, <laughs> we didn't. We were just trying to guess who your fifth person was going to be. My who? Your fifth. fifth. Who your fifth artist was going to be? Oh, who'd you think? We had a, we we came up with a few. Go ahead. Yeah, we can't. Oh, we can't. Tell, you guys tell me, what do you think? Well, we had we had Tupac in there. We had Lauren Lauren Hill in there. Um, those are the two that we were kind of going back and forth. You're not too far off. Those are good. Okay. I'll throw them in there. I'll throw them in there. Okay, cool. Yeah, I was always more of a Tupac than a Biggie fan. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I can see that. And, and then the second one is your top five athletes, people you've admired in the world of sports. So, you know, um, I don't know. I, I, I have to say Serena just because, mm-hmm. right? Um, and then I would throw some basketball folks in there. Like if I could wrap them in one, like, you know, like your, your Kobe's and your LeBron's. Put them all together. Yeah. <laughs> Put them all together. All right. All right. Um, I, don't, I, I don't know. I guess what I would say is Muhammad Ali. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> I do love boxing. Did you know that about me? I didn't know. I didn't know. Oh yeah, I do love boxing. Okay. Yeah, That's right. That's something we have in common. Yes, V loves boxing. What I will say is that, like any, I have great respect for athletes because the discipline that it takes <laughs> is the discipline to, to to be like at the, the top of your game is is the same type of intensity and discipline I want to bring in this space. Yeah. That, that if I have to shoot a thousand times in order to perfect my three-point um, shot, then that's what I want to do when it yeah. comes to being the best advocate, the best representative the best council member that i can be mm-hmm. and i look to athletes for that type of discipline and, and that's once they take no days off too so that's another thing yes no days off and yes. yeah whether you get paid or you don't get paid you still have to be out there doing the job yeah right and i have to ask this do you have any like cooking icons or or, or celebrity chefs you admire since you're you're heavily into that space as well I am. Did you guys know I went to culinary school before law school? I read it. I read that you yeah, had. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so there was a there was this moment in time that I really did want to be on the Food Network. Mm-hmm. Um, and I started, um, I transitioned to like a, a vegan lifestyle two, almost three years ago um, now. And so I really thought that I could use that space to educate people on like eating healthy uh, and like do my own cooking show uh but now that like i like truly truly admire um i follow like a lot of people on youtube who like do different cooking um healthy cooking type options but i just watch food network just to watch food network yeah yeah chopped chopped is my favorite favorite. chopped (laughs) cutthroat kitchen 
which oh, stresses yeah. me out. That one's too yes, stressful. I'm, yeah. I'm, <laughs> oh, well, Shayla, thank you so much. Honestly, this has been this has been phenomenal. I know your time is scarce right now, so we really, uh, we really, really enjoyed. This is very informative. Obviously, like we said, we go back twenty years, so it's been inspiring to watch your career, and yeah. we are going to keep rooting for you as you keep continue doing what you do and keep bringing that athlete like intensity. We love it. So, thank you for joining us. Yeah, I feel like your viewers and listeners are going to be a little confused because we look like we're 25. So <laughs> I don't know how we. Right. right. Hey, like, we are 25. There it is. There it is. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> no, thank you. This has been really fun. I've, I've, this was very fun. I had a good time. Awesome. Thank, you, thank you very much. Have a good one and uh, be safe out there. Love the Pilot Boys podcast? Support us on Patreon. Supporters can pledge as little as $1. We have some cool perks on there. Check out www.patreon.com forward slash Pilot Boys Podcast. Show us some love. Notes, but before we get to some news and notes, V, let's let's recap a little bit our conversation with uh, Council Member Shayla Favor. I thought she she was exceptional. Um, obviously, we knew her from college, but just seeing what she's grown into now um, and how aggressively and assertively she's fighting for what she believes in, I think it's dope to see somebody like that um, kind of enter the political space. Yeah, and it gave us a, a glimpse, uh, you and I talk about all the time, that a lot of these issues are tackled at the city and state level, not the federal mm-hmm. level. Um, and it was interesting just hearing some of the unique challenges um, that she says that they face, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then also, like you said, the fact that she is as outspoken and as clear in fighting for what she believes in um, as she does bodes well for her future. I see a, a bright, bright future for her um, and others like her are needed in this, in this space. Yeah. You know, uh, somebody asked me one day, uh, oh, actually this has been happening a lot lately about whether or not I would ever run for politics or for any political office. My answer is no. What, what, and the reason why is cause I just don't like that space. And I feel like there are other ways that, you know, we can kind of continue to make change. Uh, but what about you? What would you ever consider being in that space? Uh, not under the, not under the current conditions and climate. Right. Because mm-hmm. I think, a lot of us ideally what it does is it humbles you right and mm-hmm. the frustration of not being able to and having so many other people in control of what you are able to and not able to do would would definitely crush me yeah and then the concessions that you have to make just to get things done like yeah you're like you might not agree with something but it's like they're like look if you don't do this i'm not voting for your thing and then you get caught in that whole thing it's just um, you can see how a lot of pure what? intention and well-intentioned people can get corrupted in that space too. Yeah, life is life is stressful enough not dealing with all that, right? Right. All right, let's move on. All right, so let's get to news and notes, man. There's a lot to talk about. A lot is actually happening in the sports, music, and pop culture world. Um, let's start with uh, Cam Newton uh, signing with the Patriots, and there are kind of a few angles uh, to this. One is obviously he's been on the free a free agent for a long time. Um, he is injured. Uh, or at least recovering from an injury, um, you know, and then it's the Patriots, right? You know, who, you know, the Patriots and Cam, and if you talk about brand opposites, theoretically, they're kind of brand opposites. You know, the Patriots are typically kind of a more, you know, white bread, so to speak, not flashy, you know, hand the ball to the referee. I mean, you have Gronk spikes and stuff, but you know what I mean, that kind of thing. And then you have Cam, who's more outspoken, who's, you know, fashion conscious, who's flashy, who, you know, runs around and has fun. So it seems like kind of there's a brand conflict there. Um, and then also you have 
what he signed for. And yeah, people like Richard Sherman and so on and so forth kind of coming out and talking about the money um, that he's making. And, you know, they, you know, the guarantees this year, I'm just going to list them. Tom Brady's making 50 million guaranteed. Philip Rivers, 25 million. Case Keenum, 10 million. Chase Daniel, 5 million. Andy Dalton, 3 million. Jeff Driscoll, 2.5 million. Then you got Cam at 1 million. And Jameis Winston had 148,000. So that's another part of the conversation as well. So you could tackle it from anywhere you want, but um, there's kind of a lot of interesting things about the signing. I mean, this is a very, very interesting. I think Richard Sherman's comments, um, and I responded to him, was more accurate, right? They're all facts. But mm-hmm. I think um, when looking at the specific situation, we're in a very unique time for quarterbacks in the NFL timing-wise, right? Um, Cam Newton was the MVP in 2015. There's no reason um, that he should be without a job or without multiple suitors, right? Mm -hmm. But I think I look at this thing completely differently. Like you said, the brand fit Mm -hmm. um, may not be there on the surface, but I think Cam Newton looked at the landscape of the NFL and said, A, there aren't that many starting caliber options. I might be able to get paid more to go to Jacksonville, right? Mm-hmm. But he is one of the the preeminent talents of our era and still doesn't have a Super Bowl ring. So I think this was very, very, very astute on his part, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the system is set up very well in New England for him. Yeah. Um, very similar to when they went 15-1 and one in Carolina. They have a great defense, a great offensive line, um, running backs, um, multiple running backs, um, that put Cam in a position, and then obviously you have Belichick and Josh McDaniels. Yeah, they need some receivers, though. For for all the things that people have said about Cam, I think in the past about how he's a selfish guy, how he's this, he's a diva, he's this, that, and the other. I think he's 31 years old now. Um, he's gone through injuries, um, and he's showing that he's prioritizing winning, and I think he should be applauded for that. Now, everything else, you know, I don't think um, in the cap situation in New England is what it is. They couldn't offer him any more than this. But if he plays well and they go to the AFC Championship, you better believe someone's dropping the Brinks tuck for Cam Newton next season. I don't know if, what, your, what your thoughts are on it. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, these conversations are so complex because they're so multi-layered. And especially when you're dealing with you know, the NFL is one entity, but it's also 32 different clubs with 32 different interests and needs yep. and cap and cap space and all those different types of things. Um, there is a general conversation to be had always, I think, about whether or not how black quarterbacks are being looked at and whether they're being treated the way their white counterparts are being treated. That conversation, I think, continuously exists. Um, has it gotten better? For sure. But I think it's a conversation that can always be had. Um, but I don't think it always ends, stops there, right? I think that there are, sometimes there are other layers that kind of add into it, like some of the things you said, cap space, whether he was willing to accept a backup job, where he actually wanted to go, um, you know, all of those different type of things. So as far as the signing itself, I think it's great. I, I hope he's he's healthy. I know that injury, that injury is, is no freaking joke. Um, and I hope that he can, you know, be healthy because if he's healthy in New England, they'll find a way to make him successful. Um, so I think that's an interesting pairing. And I'm also interested with kind of all the news of kind of, you know, what's happened in Boston sports and, you know, the Red Sox coming out, acknowledging racism and all that type of stuff. It's also interesting to see how the city of 
uh, Boston and just New England in general is going to embrace Cam as their new leader, the new yeah, face of the franchise. Gonna be, it's going to be very interesting, uh, to yeah. say the least. Yeah. And I think, I think um, again, Belichick doesn't bring him in the fold. I think Cam gets a bad rap sometimes based on his personality. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think that he is a guy that doesn't give his heart and soul every time he walks out on that football field. And that's something no one can take away from him. Whatever he does with his dressing and yeah. some of his commentary, I mean, he matured as as he grew in the NFL. But to not respect him is, is very, very wrong. All right, so let's move on. Let's talk, uh, I guess, one more kind of, you know, racially charged story is the Bubba Wallace story. Um, it's an interesting story because, you know, I've, just a quick recap. Um, NASCAR, you know, Bubba Wallace is about to, you know, do a race. And NASCAR found what looked to be a noose. Um, I think it was the president, I believe, who found what looked to be a noose in his stall, garage stall. He went and told Bubba about it. You know, Bubba, they had a whole issue with it. They thought that it was a hate crime. They kind of announced it, um, denounced it. And then NASCAR showed a lot of solidarity with him. And after an FBI investigation, they came back and said that it wasn't a hate crime, that it was an, it was at least a noose-shaped rope, but maybe it was a garage pool and that had been there since um, 2019. But then, you know, Bubba and everybody else in NASCAR went and looked at all the other garages. And I think there were like maybe three out of thousands or something crazy, some infinite, you know, infinitely small number of those and then also just the shape of the rope um did look like a new so um there was you know nascar came out and just said that it didn't appear to be a hate crime there's some people that still think that it was somehow that maybe they chose that stall on purpose um there's some people that are saying that comparing him on the other end to jesse smollett saying that he created this whole thing where do you kind of stand uh on this bubba wallace thing well first of all i will say with all of the things and probably stereotypes that I've developed of not really being in NASCAR, but knowing about the culture of NASCAR. Um, part of the reason I've never been a part of it is because I thought it was a, it was a, a culture that embraced racism, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I really, really do admire the stance and the solidarity that they've taken with with Bubba Wallace, knowing um, that a lot of people who hold racist thoughts butter the bread of NASCAR, right? Um, and standing behind one individual driver. Um, as far as the news story, like, it's irrelevant to me when it was put in there, right? Mm-hmm. Like, there shouldn't be nooses, you know, unless they're giving us some reason that it has utility in a garage, in a race garage, then it has no place being there. Right. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't matter if it was there before. And how's Bubba Bubba's response is exactly the response that he should have if it's in his garage. Well, right? not, to, not, not to mention he's not the one who found it and he wasn't the one that reported yep. it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think what what's happening here, and they also banned the Confederate flag from races, right? Mm-hmm. Obviously a lot of these things should have already happened. Yeah. Uh, but again, you know, I give a lot of the per, you know, what happened to George Floyd is completely unacceptable. Um, but if if his death um, is to have a purpose, right? These conversations and these changes in some of our our, our darkest arenas are happening now, mm-hmm. right? 
Uh, and I applaud Bubba Wallace. He's 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 taking a stand. He's even said that growing up as a car driver, he wasn't aware of of what it actually meant um, to be a minority race car driver until um, recently. Yeah. Well, he, you know, and that's kind of how I look at it. I think, I, I do think it matters, um, you know, just if, whether or not someone deliberately put it in there right then after, you know, he got the Confederate flag banned and they put it in there as a, as a sign, like we're about to kill you. I think that that is different than potentially it just being there um, accidentally or not accidentally, but not accidentally. I take that back. It just being there um, incidentally or it being there and someone kind of assigned him to the thing. Right. Um, so I think it matters from that standpoint, but, but, but I do agree with your larger point, which is that there just shouldn't be a noose or anything shaped like a noose anywhere in the, these garages. <laughs> and, and unless you're saying that this is what, how we open all of our garages in 2020 is through this noose pool, then there's no, no reason. But the, the larger thing I think here, what you said, I think is important is, is kind of what this has done. It's not forced people in the conversations. You know, the people who are comparing them to Jesse Smollett, we kind of know who those people are and they're, yeah. and they're never going to change and that's just who they are. Um, but there are people who have used this, including NASCAR, to actually further larger conversations, right? Um, yeah. Not just the Confederate flag, but what does it mean? What does it represent? Um, are we being welcoming to all of our different types of fans? There are a lot of new black NASCAR fans now. Um, yeah. What do we need to do to kind of welcome them and be more inclusive? You know, are we being, you know, those so those type of conversations that weren't necessarily had before. So, again, Bubba, um, and not necessarily comparing to Kaepernick, but, but Bubba also is another athlete who's made a sacrifice, right, that is at least sparking certain conversations. Um, because going hard against that Confederate flag, you know, he was one of the leaders of that. That was a big move. And, you know, and that yep. pissed a lot of people off. And he knew, he knew what that was going to mean, that, that that could mean that someone would leave a noose for him, you know. Um, and he did it anyway. And NASCAR's done a great job of showing solidarity. Some, somebody said that they wish the NFL showed solidarity. Behind yeah, it's, 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 that's, that's interesting, right? Like NASCAR, yeah. in terms of evaluating their, their race car drivers and their audience, they have the least incentive uh, to do this. Um, mm -hmm. And it just casts a light, a very negative light on the NFL, um, which is a league that has majority African-American players, has many more minority fans um, for how they've handled these type of issues in the past and continue to do so, right? Yeah. So let's talk about, uh, let's talk some music, man. Let's talk some some hip-hop. Because uh, the other day we posted on our, our uh, Twitter account and Facebook and Instagram um, the meme that we had, had seen, which basically said Tupac was a better artist than Biggie, but Biggie was a better rapper than Tupac, and it, and that sparked a lot of conversation. Where do you stand on that? What's your perspective? I think the meme is spot on accurate. If you're evaluating objectively, right? Like, it's very, very, very hard because people who are fans of Tupac or Biggie, they're not. That's like family members to them, right? Right. 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 Um, so it's it's hard for people to really be truly be objective but i mean you know uh, we talk about this cover we have this conversation all the time i mean in terms of legacy in terms of overall talent tupac is in a different league right he could act he's a he was he was an activist and he made songs that made you feel a certain way right mm -hmm. um but biggie was just like 
cold-blooded assassin with the wordplay and with 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 actually rapping like yeah um and, and that and that's what i think i think is important in these type of conversations right again you know people have their different definitions of what things mean but i think defining what is rapper mean when you say you're the better rapper yeah i think you're kind of defining it which is wordplay how else would you define what rapper or better rapper means in this context i mean flow lyrics like mm-hmm. you know Tupac made us feel his emotions, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but there are times he's he's rapped, and you've heard it, and I've heard it, and we're like, that doesn't even match the beat. Where did that come from? You know what I mean? Like, um, whereas Biggie was always on point, always yeah. on point on the beat, always his 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 bars were very very precise. Yeah, um, but he didn't. If you really analyze Biggie, though, a lot of his songs he wasn't rapping about anything. But <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I mean, so so here's how I look at it. First of all, I, I think um, you and I are probably in the similar camp when it comes to this. Well, at least as far as the, we, we respect both of them, we're not. We don't feel yeah. like necessarily you know family members with either. I was obviously a huge Tupac fan. Part of it was because I think my style in terms of energy matched his more as an artist than it did Biggie. And even sometimes people said I sounded like him. You remember the whole All Eyes on Me album we did um, in 2008. Hmm. Um, So I always had a little bit more kind of lean towards Pac, but I always respected Biggie, you know, just as much. So from an artist's perspective, like you said, Tupac is energetic. He was charismatic. He knew how to get the crowd involved. Um, His ad-libs, you know, and just... His energy, excuse me, was um was something that no we've never seen before and we'll probably never see him again. The closest thing we've probably seen to it in some ways is DMX. Yeah. Um and Travis Scott has a little bit of that, but not it's, it's a little different. No, it's not, um, it's, not so, yeah, yeah. it's different. I'm just talking about in terms of energy. Like if you yeah, see Travis yeah. Scott perform, it's nuts. Yeah. Um yes, but and then but but Biggie, like you said, his flow, his 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 lyrics based on what he was talking about, right? So he could be talking about you know, smashing your chick or whatever, but the lyrics within that, it's kind of like yeah. Eminem sometimes. Like Eminem, he doesn't, he's saying crazy shit, but the lyrics within what he's saying are, are dope, if that makes yeah. sense, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so that, and, and, and it's, and, and it goes to show you why styles matter, right? Like, because mm-hmm. people will go to their grave saying Biggie's way better than Pac or Pac is better than Big. I think you look at their personalities and personas, they are opposites of each other, right? Like mm-hmm. these reserved, laid back, cool, super yes. cool guy. Yeah. Tupac is always in your face, abrasive character. Yeah. Um, so I think that also, it's like, what type of personalities you lean toward are going to be who you prefer in that conversation. But you know what else is crazy though about that is that Biggie though, he was aggressive on the mic. On the Biggie mic. He wasn't passive. He wasn't yeah. passive on the mic. Like, yeah. you know, he did his personality, like just chill, cool. Yeah. That's not, he was chill, cool on the mic still. Uh, it's kind of hard, to, but he was still kind of aggressive too. Yeah. You know, he like was. That, that Bone and Biggie song is just, I mean, it's just crazy. His dexterity is just crazy. Like, you would never think, like, it always seemed like everything was so easy for him, right? Yeah, like, that's, that's true. I don't think we've ever heard an artist that it seemed that effortless for. You know what's crazy, though, about Pac, too, is is he was, his was effortless, too. But sometimes, like, and again, this kind of comes back to style. Because Pac is the kind of guy that would write 10 songs in a day. You know what yeah. I mean? And it just came kind of from the heart. But because he was so energetic, Sometimes I think people 
assumed that he was trying harder than he was, but a lot of it came naturally to him. Yeah. Um, but that leads me to this versus battle between Fab, Fabulous and Jadakiss, man. And yeah. I mean, you're talking about, again, two legends, right? Not necessarily on the level of Big and Pac, but still, again, two legends. And it, it was, to be honest, I missed it. Uh, I'd fallen asleep finally. I'd actually fallen asleep early one night. But I went back and, and looked at it, and um, thank God for online. And I was able to see, and I was just, I was in awe, man, because in a lot of ways I grew up on, on, on both of them, and they influenced even me stylistically. But just to kind of see their catalogs like that on display was something else. Yeah, I mean, these are two, you know, when when you talk about rappers, rappers, right? Mm-hmm, uh, exactly. And, and these are two guys that fit in that category. And I think Fab oftentimes has, you know, from a mainstream, because he's gone more mainstream, he's willing to sing to the ladies more mm-hmm. than a right. rapper of his style normally is. Mm-hmm. Um, people tend to underestimate just how talented he is, mm-hmm. right? Whereas with Jada Kiss, you already know what it is, right? It's like he says it top five dead or alive. Yeah. You know? And and anytime, even if you don't even if you don't put him in your top five, when you listen to his songs, you're like, shit, he probably does belong in there. Right. right. Because he's just an animal. And and then well, the other, other thing part, about Jada, real quick too, is yeah. that we're talking about personality. He's a chill dude. And I've met him many times. Yeah cool super cool he showed lo- us mad love before i remember in yeah. new york we were in a party years ago he showed you and i a lot of love and um but his style on the on the beat matches kind of his style personality super chill super laid back um you can get aggressive here and there but for the most part it's chill it's they're chill. very similar right because mm-hmm. we when hypnotic first came out we um were on video shoot with fab they're very similar that's why they probably are such close friends yeah. Very laid back, chill dude. Um, but just once you put that microphone in front of him, it's just like it's effortless for him. And right? who do you think? Who do you think won? I think Jada in the second half just destroyed. And the thing about Jada Kiss is that this gave us an opportunity to understand and appreciate is just this dude. There aren't many guys who've had the longevity and prolific nature of his talent. He's been around since Biggie. Yeah. You know? Um, but yeah, and Jada has the respect and fab and fab of all the legends, man. All the legends they know, they know, you yeah. know. When you talk to, like you said, they're those guys are rappers, rappers, fabulous. And Jada Kiss got bars for days, both of them. It's you said, you know, fabulous, like you said, some of his stuff was a little more commercial, probably than Jada's overall, even though Jada did have some commercial hits. Um, but that should not make anybody think for a second that Fabu- Fabulous can't wrap you off the table. You know, I know <laughs> DJ was, Clue. Yeah. That's DJ one Clue thing I was going to say is like, yeah. that was something that was odd to me because Clue was there, but they had some DJ booth or somebody. It's like when you think of Fabulous and you know music, you think of DJ Clue. And right? Desert Storm, like, yeah. You know? For sure. And so that was, that was a... Uh, yeah, let us know. You guys, if you're listening on social uh, social media... At, at Pilot Boys Pod on Twitter, let us know who you think won. We got to move on because we're um, running a little bit out of time. But let's let's talk about the video that we posted on social media that kid catching the fish. Um, I mean, it's not a ton to say about it, but it was just a great feel good video. Good find by you. Yeah, I think that the kid. Um, you know, I think during these times we all need something that's just genuine and pure, right? There's no mm-hmm. way. Some of these videos that I see with kids, I'm like, is this staged? Right. Um, 
but that was just a hundred percent authentic, pure soul. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. Understand. I use the word humanity. Yeah. Um, if you need to understand what humanity is, you need to go check that video out. Or if you're questioning what humanity is, if if we all operated and had the heart of that kid, this world would be a way, way better place. Yeah, I agree with that. A um, couple updates. Um, Ozark season four. Thank God. <laughs> They're uh, finally finalized that. So going to be a 14 uh, episode final season. Um, yeah. I think it's good and bad news for some people. I think uh, for some people it's, it's bad news because they said, oh, man, why are they going to end it after season four? But then for some of us, it's good news and relief because, you know, people, they cancel episodes. They yeah. cancel seasons. And the show, the show is a slow burn, right? It didn't yeah. do very well at the outset. The quarantine actually helped um, their ratings tremendously. And also, I mean, if, you've, if you're a viewer of the show, um, not all shows can go on forever, right? Right. And right. It's better to end early than end late and this storyline can only go so many more places yeah i'm glad we know versus versus not knowing that there's going to be an end there's been shows yeah. that we've watched that like messiah yeah um, abrupt ending you yeah. know yeah um i agree so yeah so we'll see what's happening with that let's talk about before we get out of here let's talk about uh coronavirus right um and kind of some of the ways it's playing out different places i think it's unfortunate, but you really can't really have a show without at least mentioning it because it's affecting everything in our day-to-day lives. Um, let's start with kind of the rash of positive tests in, in college and the NFL. Um, there's all kinds of different discussions on it. You have some people even suggesting that coaches are hoping their players get it now um, so then they can build up immunity towards later. You're saying you have people who are saying shut it all down. The fact that they're getting it now means that, you know, it's just way too risky. It's it's July, um, and the season starts essentially next month. Where do you kind of how do you evaluate this type of stuff? And then there's also a difference potentially between the pros and, and colleges, um, but maybe there isn't. Multiple things, right? If if I hate to make this public service announcement, but if you care about football and you care about sports and you care about watching them in September, start wearing a fucking mask. Yeah. Start following guidelines, social distancing guidelines, and this will all become a lot less stressful for us all to deal with because we all want our entertainment back. We all want our sports back, but we also have to deal with reality and we have to ask ourselves, do we care more about sports or do we care more about the health of these young kids? The fact that over 20 Clemson players have gotten it. Yeah, I think it's over 30 now. 30, and and although... Our hospital capacities in many major cities, including Houston, which has one of the best healthcare infrastructures in the entire country, their ICUs are at 100% capacity now. People are dying still. Yeah. So, yes, we have to be more cautious. If, if kids are getting cases, then you need to reevaluate how you're handling them, how workouts are happening, what their social uh, life consists of. You know, everything needs to be monitored. And these kids. And I think, yeah, I think that brings up a, an interesting point, too, about, you know, the college kids versus the pros. Right. Because the pros are essentially are going to essentially be paid millions of dollars to take these risks. Right. Yep. Um, and but here's the other interesting thing about this. Right. Is, is that. This is different. This is different than the typical typical injury risk. Right. Because injury risk is like. That's what I'm 
put it on my, I'm putting my body on the line to potentially injure myself. So when I go out and say, okay, I'm going to go play basketball or football, I know that I personally could get injured. But that doesn't, if I get injured and I hurt my arm or whatever, I'm not going to go spread an arm break <laughs> to the community of people. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. This one's different because it's, it's, if you get it, you're also, and even if you're, especially if you're asymptomatic, then you may not realize you have it and you could really be exposing it to the community and not even just your family and people, but people in the community at the grocery store and, and so on and so forth. People at the football facility, there are plenty of elderly people that work in every football program and NFL yes. team in the NFL. Yes, so that's what makes this different. It's different than just saying, oh, well, you, you know, you're agreeing to assume the risk. It's like, yeah, but I'm also potentially putting other people at risk when I get it. And even no matter what, and no matter what you think about the potency of this, right, because there's a lot of different data about, you know, whether this is mutating or whether or not it's how deadly it is and all that type of stuff. We still know it's a very serious issue and a very highly contagious thing. And I agree with you um, with your PSA is wear a mask, man. It's not that it's not that hard. No one's saying, yeah, listen, like, don't, don't do anything. We, we've already been through shutdowns. We could go through other shutdowns, but as long as we're not, there is something that you can do that pretty much most, almost every, every medical professional agrees on that can reduce the risk of transmission which is wear a mask. Don't be a dick. Just just put on the mask. You don't have to wear it in your car. You don't have to wear it in your house. But if you're yeah. going somewhere in public, just just wear the mask. Yeah, you know? it's so frustrating now going to the grocery store and seeing more than 50% of the people not wearing a mask. And it's like, okay, like, where are we at in America that we just rebel for the sake of rebellion? I know it sucks to wear a mask, right? Mm -hmm. Like, you get hot, all that stuff. But if everyone else is doing it and everyone else is taking precautions, don't be the asshole that says, I'm just going to rebel because I, I don't feel like wearing a mask. That's well, the, and the other thing, too, is that, you know, all the messages about it affecting your oxygen levels, those have all been debunked by doctors. It's not true. And then the other thing is we, we're all required to wear clothing for different reasons or another. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like it's essentially a piece of clothing. And there are a lot of places where you can go in. You can't get in if you don't have pants on or you can't get in if you don't have a jacket on or you can't like those are things that we've accepted in society that aren't even necessarily for our health or for health purposes. Sometimes they're just for aesthetics. This one is one that's actually for health purposes. And people are still like, nah, it's taking away my freedom. It's like, well, do you try to walk into a, a store with just your underwear on? No, you don't. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's like. I, a lot, yes. People's understanding of what freedom actually means seems to be um, awkward, yeah. at the least. Well, if you live in, you know, there are people who don't want the government telling them what to do and all that type of stuff. And any new thing that the government tells them to do, they're going to rebel against, regardless yeah. of regardless of whether it's right or wrong. But the reality is that the government, a lot of times, does have to make decisions that protect or that are designed to protect its people for example speed limits right imagine if there weren't speed limits people yep. would be i mean the amount of accidents will go up. there's data the data should, so this yep. is, a lot of these things are data driven um and they may suck and they may be annoying no one likes to always go to the speed limit right so it's not mm -hmm. about whether we like it but you understand if you don't the risk that you're putting other people yourself and other people at and it seems it's fairly basic but believe it or not it's not and um so that's kind of where we are but uh, if you do want sports, and I guess we'll put a button on it here. Just like you said, I'm going to reiterate what you said. If you do want sports, if you do want a season, you have to do your job to potentially stop the spread because that is what is going to dictate this. It's not going to be dictated by anything else, but how fast is this thing spreading? Um, who's getting it? How much do we have under control? 
the less that we have under control, the less likely we are to have seasons or uninterrupted seasons. And so if you're a sports fan or a person who's a fan of music that wants to go to concerts or whatever, just you got to bite the bullet on this one. Yeah. That's all we have for news and notes. Listen to the Pilot Boys podcast. Ondo Media here in Columbus has been working with us to keep the Pilot Boys in production during the pandemic, as well as getting our YouTube videos going. It's all about telling your story to your audience. So give John and Ondo Media a shout. And you can find all of their media consulting at ondomedia.com. That's all we have for today's show. Big thanks to our guest, Shayla Favor. Thanks to everybody for listening. Don't forget, sharing is caring. Subscribe to the Pilot Boys podcast on Apple, Spotify, Patreon, and YouTube. And please follow us on social media at Pilot Boys Pod on Twitter and at Pilot Boys Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. And follow the hosts on Twitter. I am at Mechanon Music and V is at The Swan. And don't forget to grab some Pilot Boys wristbands at shop.pilotboys.com. Always remember, be you. You is fly. Pilot Boys out. Pilot Boys, we get on up.